Vulnerability and healing, two major topics and traits I put on the forefront of this journey. By listening, you will learn a lot about me, not only as a host, but as a person who just like you was going through life and making it one that I'd be proud to look back on. This project was an attempt to find my voice and has grown into a community of people finding theirs. Today, I am joined by my guest, musical artist Marlo Stevens, who has a story that I'm sure will inspire you. How can you live in a house and burn it down at the same time and not get charged for arson? I am Dakota Patterson, and this is the Fresh Brewed Coffee Podcast. The Fresh Brewed Coffee Podcast is brought to you by the team of VX and Big Heads Media. On this podcast, I'll be talking about life and the many paths it takes us down as individuals and how we collectively meet as a society. Sometimes I'll be sitting down with the guests who will bring fresh perspectives that we can all learn from. My hope is to create a space for all to be vulnerable and human. With that being said, it's brewing time. Hello, it's been a while. Welcome to episode one of season two of the Fresh Brew Coffee podcast. I am your host, Dakota Patterson, Champ VX on all socials. I also have an Instagram and Twitter for the Fresh Brew Coffee podcast. That's FB Coffee Pod. Once again, that's FB Coffee Pod. So in the preseason and season one of the Fresh Brew Coffee podcast, you heard a lot of my stories and a lot of who I am as a person. In season two, I want to focus more on sharing other people's stories. So today, I'm very honored to bring friend and musical artist, Marlo Stevens. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Welcome. Welcome to the Fresh Brew Coffee Podcast. (laughs) Welcome to my life. (laughs) (laughs) So first of all, I want to start off this interview with how are you doing? Mm. And when I ask how are you doing, I'm not talking small talk, how are you doing? I'm talking about how are you doing? (laughs) How am I doing? Um, wow, I'm not going to lie. This has been a very tribulating time for me, Um, not just for COVID and everything that's going on with these. We're going to get a little deeper than social norms uh, today. So um, being in check spiritually is this has been a very rough time. Um, Honestly, I, you know, made it all the way here back from California, Mm -hmm. which, you know, Mm -hmm. um, from going from there to musically only coming here to do one specific job (laughs) and supposed to be going back death in the family. Um, this will be my third time this happening. We're coming back from California and happen to make a decision. And if I'm going to stay and financially where things were at for me. So just like in the earthly, it was very difficult, but also spiritually and mentally, it was kind of complexing because I knew I did what I was supposed to do and things didn't work out the way that I wanted them to and what I expected them to be, you know, even mm-hmm, spiritually. So mm-hmm. it that's was, al- that's always tough. It's always tough when yeah. things you've, you do things the right way and then yeah. things don't happen the way, you know, cause they tell mm-hmm. you, Oh, you do things the right way and then the right things will happen. So Correct. They don't really prepare you, I guess, for mm-hmm. the disappointment that sometimes it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So let's go back to the start of your journey. When I first met you, Oh wow. Okay. You okay. Were, <laughs> You were doing music, mm-hmm. but correct. you weren't the musical artist, Marlo. You know? <laughs> correct, correct. So let's 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 go back there. Let's go back there. Well, well, world. What I'm going to do is, as we get a little bit more introspective, I'm going to turn on my my Dakota voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
I want to let you guys know that Dakota is way more than a interviewer and a artist <laughs> and a you know a painter and a poet and he's so multifaceted and um, I just want you guys to know who I'm sitting across from is a major reason why I am now involved into the things that I am. Um, <clears throat> if it was not for the energy and the love of Dakota Patterson, I would not be where I am. So I'm going to go ahead and say that to the Fresh Brood crew, okay? Um, how I met Dakota, how I got to this point, um, the start of the journey, Detroit, mm-hmm. documented mm-hmm. Uh, event that we talked about. Um, but, yes, we had a show in Detroit, Dakota, uh, magically – his wings were f- open to fly to <laughs> Akron and um, get in the car with three strangers <laughs> and um, go on a journey for the rest of our lives. Um, as so eloquently as he put that under a post, <laughs> not knowing where this journey was going to take us. So I'm going to keep you guys involved as I talk about this. So as much as, yes, we'll start with the journey. He did, he did that, and he came on this journey with us and took some really awesome photos, and me and him did not really talk. Not at all. At all. <laughs> we did not talk at all. Um, I was just a drummer at the time. Um, I've always loved music, um, but I was a drummer at the time, and I was starting to experiment with poetry about a month later, stemming a very ugly separation from my wife um with i have nothing but a love and you know respect for cheyenne if you ever hear this (laughs) so there's no bashing in this but um but yeah so i met him at that place and she actually was the poet and um during the demise which is funny and we talk about things spiritually and covenants and how that actually works in a relationship um you kind of pick up and grow things from one another so at that time god uh definitely used me as trying to communicate a message through a gift that she would obtain and amongst that she was already kind of lost spiritually but just not we were not connected because of things that were going on that i didn't Mm -hmm. know about and um that message wasn't communicated Mm -hmm. and the result of that was poetry into rap which is the intro of which, chapter which is, seven. Right. <laughs> which which is insane to me because <clears throat> I remember, yeah, in Detroit, we didn't talk. No. And on the way back from Detroit, I was looking at everyone in the car, mm-hmm. three strangers. <laughs> three complete strangers. It was so crazy. I remember at first thinking, wow, like this is so wild that mm-hmm. I'm even here in a car with strangers, mm-hmm. but I have learned to just trust my instincts and just trust my gut. Yeah. And you know, like I mentioned a lot in the preseason and in season one and just every day in my regular life, I mentioned trusting the process. Always. So I remember something said, I have to go. I, I just have to go. These are strangers, but I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And so on the way back, I was still sitting there like, there was something that I did not see yet. Mm-hmm. There was something that what was supposed to happen didn't happen yet, but I knew that it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I was looking at everyone in the car, and I looked at you, and I went, "Ah, I said you're the you're you're, you're the missing piece. You're the missing you're, piece. You're, I said, you're, you're the key. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was just like you're." You're supposed to be doing something that you're not doing. That's those are verbatim, guys. <laughs> that you're the key, and you're doing something that you're, or you're not doing something you're, supposed, you're supposed to be, to be doing. doing. Yeah, and, and that's that's what he said. I remember at first I was just like, 
oh man, this dude is going to be completely creeped out by <laughs> some stranger saying this to him. But yeah. I just felt inclined. Like I just, it clicked and I went, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. This is who I'm supposed to, like this is, this is it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I knew still, knew nothing about you. Yeah, 100%. And then later, uh, I remember later on, I don't remember how much further it was from the trip where you had mentioned the separation. Oh, wow. Well, actually, I remember because we were, I had mentioned the separation, but I called you when it had, well, like, kind of like when I was going through it, like right when I left, I'm pretty sure between that or when I got to Cleveland. Because me and you at that point in time were, um, we were sharing poetry at that point yes, in time. We yes. were messaging back and forth. So yes, as we go into this, good people. Um, <laughs> he is a very gifted writer, but a very well-known uh, poet as well, spoken word artist. We share a lot of similar views from Strivers Royal to Carvin's Assant to Joshua Bennett or Howard. Um, shout out to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and my uh, very good friend, Adrian Watson. So my... Ex, uh, yeah, my ex-wife, she was in Premier's Poets Guild, which was a uh, poetry group outside of Youngstown State University that started there, um, which is like a Poets Guild group that mm-hmm. she had started, or they had started, Adrian and um, his now wife. And Cheyenne was the secretary, but Cheyenne was actually very, very good. Cheyenne, and I, I say it to this day, the girl's the truth. If you ever see a Cheyenne Stevens, hopefully she finished changing her name. But um, <laughs> she's amazing. And so Coda was once I found out that he was a writer and we began to talk more because there was a phone call that happened. I called Dakota after the trip and I said, what more do you do? I remember that. (laughs) And I said, you do more. Now, mind you, I've already done my research. I've looked this dude up. I've found his books. I see the poetry. I see the pictures. I FaceTime him and I say, what else do you do? He's like, what? (laughs) I said, what else do you do? Because you do way more than take some pictures, sir. And the pictures were amazing. You know, he had just shot, you know, a big scene the day before. Okay, cool. So this guy does all this. So at this point in time in the demise of my relationship, I was poetry was coming out of me every day and we had kind of got into it and we had a writing exercise and and Cheyenne actually cried and broke down in front of me like one year, extremely good. And I'm like the merge of her and Adrian. She was like, and I've and I never forget it, she sat on the couch and she's like, I feel so stupid. And I wasn't I wasn't understanding what was going on. And after that, poetry start just every day was just was just click 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 and I was up in the morning texting Dakota in our notes like okay Mm -hmm. editing and he was sending me stuff back and so that was where the discord of our relationship came into he was the first person I probably ever opened up to even as a poet as an artist so and he was like bro you have to do this you have to do this and I just kept doing it so it was Adrian and him and then um my demise of my relationship happened maybe a week to two weeks later where, you know, infidelity was involved. Um, this was a marriage. I'm not going to expound too much on mm-hmm. that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it was it was a detrimental time. And um, I came home and back to Cleveland. And I told Dakota, I called him crying and opened up to him about it. <laughs> and um, he actually told me something that helped me through it. That <laughs> I, re- I remember and, just thinking, I went, Wow. You know, I said I always talk about trusting the process. Yeah. And I remember when you called me and told me this, I remember thinking, 
this is so wild because I had went through the same thing with my marriage. Correct. Correct. So when you told me alignment, went, people, right? So when you told me, <laughs> I was just like, because I, I I sat there and I was like, wow, like sometimes when you're, when you're going through something, I feel when you're going through something, it's human to ask yourself, why me? Yeah. Why am I going through this? Because there's things that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. But you know that there's a reason behind it. You just don't mm-hmm. know the reason at the minute. You know, you're focused on the pain yeah. of what's going on. So you're just like, why me? Mm-hmm. So it hit a point in my life where I stopped asking why me. And I just knew that the answer would come. Mm-hmm. So when you had called me, I went, oh. No, yeah. This, this, this is why I went through that. Mm-hmm. I went through these things so I can help people through these things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the irony, right? That you, but you know, man, it's so funny because that's such a positive way to live in inverse when you think about it. Because, yeah, it's extremely unfortunate that you would have to go through such excruciating pain inside. You know what I mean? As well. And, like, it's detrimental. It kills you. But then, like, it hurt you. But it's gonna save millions. Mm-hmm. You know I, what I mean? Yeah. Like it's gonna, it's gonna like, and if you don't talk about it, it could kill millions. Right. So what right. you're supposed to do amongst your purpose and your journey, if you don't speak up or change, you could kill, you know, hurt more lives than you right. could save. And that's the purpose of alignment and being here and what you're supposed yes. to do and, and and your mind being in the right place. Because if you don't do that. You will never achieve what you were supposed to do while you were down here anyway. Yes. And that's yes. the whole purpose of God will not give you more than you can bear mm-hmm. because only you were supposed to bear that, but thousands are supposed to heal from it. So it's it's amazing, man. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's like I I was I used to always tell my friends, I used to always tell them, think of all the fortune that comes from unfortunate events. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you. I'm trying to tell you, like in the, the double entendre, I just I just did a song, not made a song, I freestyled my first song off scratch the other day. Just mm-hmm. like did it for the first time. It's called Jumping Off the Cliff. And I literally wrote, you know, sometimes it, it pains to be shy. The pain that you have to go through to be shy, the things that you hold yourself back from. short break we'll be back with more fresh brewed coffee looking to support the fresh brewed coffee podcast outsider rates and reviews show the world by purchasing some fresh brewed merch on bigheadsmedia.com and pick up a shirt hoodie and or coffee mug it does wonders for me and would do the same for you you'll look great in it and now more fresh brewed coffee with Dakota Patterson Hello, welcome back to the Fresh Brew Coffee Podcast. I am your host, Dakota Patterson. Once again, Champ VX on all socials. Please make sure that you subscribe and rate the Fresh Brew Coffee Podcast. We have an Instagram and Twitter. That is FB Coffee Pod. Once again, that's FB Coffee Pod. The Fresh Brew Coffee Podcast could be subscribed on the Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Castro, and Castbox. Obviously, I also have a website you can listen to it on. Once again, I appreciate your support. And we're back here with Marlo Stevens. 
All right, so Marlo. Yes, yes. And before the break, we had mentioned disappointment. And I had mentioned how, I believe my exact words was, how much fortune can come from unfortunate events. Yes, yes, sir. So, obviously, I said, me knowing you, I know there's a few unfortunate events that have come. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a firm believer, or at least not a firm believer, but where I come from, when something bad happens, I say I always try to see not even the brighter side of it, mm-hmm. but I try to see the entire picture instead of just looking at the frame. Mm-hmm. So what I want to ask is, is that something you do when something really terrible happens, for example, mm-hmm. like with your ex-wife? Mm-hmm. In the moment, because I know in the moment it's so easy to get caught up in like the mm-hmm. usual human emotions, anger, mm-hmm. sadness, this and this. Yeah. When you are faced with a rough situation, what is Marlowe's process? Um, <clears throat> I would say my the situation with my ex-wife was a big, big learning curve for me. Um, I could begin to see my earthly value and the full picture. I was able to see that for what I thought that was then. Um, then I had to, you know, I had to re re relearn love and re relearn purpose, relearn why things happen amongst what they do. Then I had to take it a little bit past that and be able to execute it spiritually. Okay, since this happened, only this can happen now. Since you now have changed your intentions, since you now changed your motive and you were more honest about the way that you were living, I then began to see I was able to avoid consequence. I was able to avoid something just happening to me. And then when something did happen to me, it was a cause and effect. It was something that I either did, something I could result and see coming, something that was a sneak attack, and then God took care of it, and I I came out of it without a blemish. So the way that I began to move ultimately changed how I had to face problems. And when I did face them, I was either prepared for them or um, they were handled for me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I didn't really struggle from too many setbacks. I more or less just was prepared for the next hurdle. Mm-hmm. And uh, change, is always, uh, change is always a funny topic for some people. Always. Always a funny thing. So always. I believe people change. I've seen people change. I have changed. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with the phrase, you, you can't change a tiger's stripes. Always. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when it comes to change, I do not believe change is about changing a tiger's stripes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. maybe it changes the way we change the way we view. Change the, the way tiger. you run, change the way you yeah. breathe, change yeah. the way you attack. You know, so yeah. it's not always about changing the tiger stripes, but changing the way we view the tiger. Yeah. So when someone does me wrong, right? Someone does something wrong and it hurts me and this and that. At first, I said, of course, you want to be human. We're, mm-hmm. we're human. So, of course, naturally, the first thing would be anger, it would be this, it would be that, it would be this, it would be that. But I said, when it comes to changing the way we view the tiger mm-hmm. and the tiger stripes, I apply that to humans as well. Correct. If you were to do something that would hurt me and we talked about it, I would look at you a completely different way. That doesn't mean negative. I wouldn't be like, oh, you can't change. Mm-hmm. But I guess when it comes to change, I think we expect people to change or we want people to change. And we mm-hmm. want them to change into what we want them to change into. Yeah. So when it comes to change, how would you define change, true change, for self? 
How do you know when Marlo is changing and who Marlo is changing into? When... Hmm. There's two ways to answer this question, my brother. But just how you said how you have to change the viewpoint of how you look at the person, Mm -hmm. I flip the perspective and I put a mirror in front of me. So now that the mirror is in front of me, I now have to change how I look at myself. So what I did was one way to channel that. Another example. I've always been into entertainment. I've always, um, you know, in high school... I danced. I was. We rocked a 350 crowd or 500 crowd. People got an encore. Um, did a lot of different things. I was on Fox 8. I was, you know, did drumline. I did simple spinning and all sorts of stuff. I was a featured artist in multiple places. But I've always been a showman, is what I'm saying. But <clears throat> I was always a showman. For only as I was only as good as what people told me I was. I knew that the people wanted to see it, and I practiced and got better. But even when I practiced in dance rooms, a lot of the time my eyes would be closed. The lights would be off. I never wanted to view the reflection of myself or what I thought was good. Mm-hmm. So then I had to change how my approach was. So if I could only get better and change, I could only be better than a man in a mirror. So I don't know if you're a fan of Creed or the movie Creed, but I'm a big fan of that from moral values and standards of life and how you fight back. But more or less, mm-hmm. when he was training in the mirror on Creed 1, you can't hit yourself. So you avoid yourself. You throw the punch, but you avoid it. So now you now can only be as good as you. And the better that that person in the mirror gets, the better you get. I start rapping in the mirror every morning. I used to get up and I would freestyle with the lights on and I would have my headphones on and I would pray and I would rap at myself in the mirror for 45 minutes to an hour every day. And I would fly through beats and I would freestyle. And then I did that because I stopped seeking approval. I stopped seeking other people's approval. I was able to make concrete steps into my future and into my life because I no longer cared what people would say because I was good enough to myself. So that's when I knew that I was making change and I started to see purpose amongst my stride and I believed in myself. So that's when um, I did that. So obviously I said, I understand and know personally that you're a father. Yes. And I love talking to other parents because I said, I think really deeply about a lot of things. So mm-hmm. especially when it comes to being a parent. Being a parent, so sometimes I look at my kids, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think about how they're my kids. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm my parents' kids. Mm-hmm. And I think about, like, my relationship with my birth mother is mm-hmm. very, very strange. It's non-existent, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that came from me understanding our relationship my relationship right. with right. my mother was very i said it was it was it was terrible it was a terrible mother son relationship a lot of my insecurities came from that mm-hmm. a lot of my lack of self-worth and mm-hmm. not seeing the value in myself and the things i do mm-hmm. this is the same woman who rated my book a one star and then denied it and <laughs> it's like the proof is there but what i'm saying is when it comes to me being a parent, I always look at my kids and I always think, how would I feel? Because mm-hmm. I wasn't taught that, you know? Right. Like, my mom was very, I brought you into this world, I, I can take, take you out. out. <laughs> oh, brother. She, so she, that, that, was, that was her. Mm-hmm. So it was, my role is law in this house, I am God, this, this, this. Mm-hmm. 
And so when I look in my kids, I make sure that I do not do that. I do right. not I do not carry a God complex. I do not do the, this is my house, my rules, this and this. I allow my kids to be. Right. Because when I allow my kids to be, I begin to understand who that child is. Right. Just as I allowed myself to be, mm-hmm. I allow my, I allow, when I allow myself to be, I understand myself more. I allow my kids to be. Mm-hmm. It allows them to be who they are. Okay. So that's me as a parent because I didn't have that as a parent. So mm-hmm. would you say that your parenting is, how does it reflect? Oh, my upbringing? Okay. Being parented. Woo, man. We got some questions today, Dakota. <laughs> um, Fresh Fruit Coffee. Shout out to Fresh Fruit Coffee. Um, <laughs> I just want to let you guys know, this is an eloquent cup of coffee I'm yeah. drinking. It is, yeah. oh my gosh. We're drinking a Columbia Narino from Bentry Coffee Roaster oh, in wow. Kansas, Ohio. You, said, you guys hear that? Local. 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 <laughs> but yeah, so how, um, how does your parenting reflect the parenting of Marlo. Woo, man, my daddy gonna be mad about this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, so my parenting. So, uh, wow. So, my ex-wife and I did a really, really serious and serious job on. We were not just two young kids that had kids. You know what I mean? Right, and that right. made children and didn't know the responsibility of mind and the importance of the way that we wanted to raise our children. And there's a difference between someone like, oh, this is what we're teaching them. And that's what grandparents say. Oh, that's what they're teaching them. No, this is the way that we're raising our children. And that statement doesn't get as much respect from a millennial generation. So, me, <clears throat> we decided to self-soothe when our children came out. Oh, man, I drove my parents crazy. Like, so in order to indicate what their cry is, you know, especially as a youth, because with babies, they, the cry is a reaction to something that's going on that they don't like or something that's happening. So they have to distinctively, you have to learn those cries. Only way you do that is by allowing them to do that. Amongst doing that, we also taught them, you know, sign language and baby sign language. We did Mm -hmm. baby Einstein's Mm -hmm. and ABC mouse, and we taught them a language before they had a language so that they could identify with their mind what they wanted. Now, that drove my mom and my dad crazy, you know, but now it's, oh, my God, they have a great vocabulary. Oh, my God, they know what they need. They can play to themselves. They, you know, they can self-soothe, you know, so my parenting style, big for me. I have allowed my children, you know, let alone whatever it is that they want to be and what they want to do and to be good at it and understanding that scholastic is something that we always, the point of scholastic is to understand regiment and understanding the per, the point of making sure that you get done what you're supposed to get done and that you do that for your purpose and not let someone else's dream or mission. Doing well in school is not just because, oh, the accolade is for you to go to school and do all of these great things because this is the picture perfect life. No. You have to have discipline to attack the things that you want out of life. And since they have you in a systematic prison reformed, you know, mental block and, oh, this is what you need to do. And it mimics bills and you move off of, you know, what you hear and what you see, follow, walk in line, do all of these things. They're going to have you do that. We have to function in that part of society. But understand now, take your brain and apply all of those disciplines to the things that you want to do. If it's being a hairdresser, if it was an actor, if it's being a businesswoman, if you want to, you know, I have three daughters. If you want to, um, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, own a Fortune 500 company, if you want to, you know, learn about, you know, stocks and being an an investor, because there are ways that you have purpose that you want to initiate into your communities or into your life and, you know, making your family greater and expand the knowledge on financials. All of those things are 
are great, but you need discipline to do them. And you have to have purpose amongst it. And you have to have time to be able to expound on that purpose. Only way that you can do that is that you have to have that place at home. That someone supports you really and truthfully through the things that you want to do. And then you pick up the betterment along the way. You know, and we are entrepreneurs. Our children are going to be even better entrepreneurs for this generation. So my, my parenting style isn't much you need to go to college and you need to begin to do blah, 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 and this is going to set up your future and kind of down your throat about the systematic living form of the, the of what, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't do that. You know, my, my, I don't do that any longer. And I feel that, you know, we have 18 years to de or unprogram ourselves into the ways that our parents have now made. I've only been, I've been out the house less time than I was in the house, but you want me to basically <laughs> mimic what you put inside of me. I was looking at pictures the other day of how basically I really wanted to be my father and walk in those shoes. And I was 150 pounds bigger. I was more upset than I was because I was trying to mimic that model. Right. And now with the amount of intellect that I've gained, a lot of knowledge I've gained, the amount of patience I've gained by just walking into my purpose, I now am 150 pounds lighter. Mm -hmm. I'm a lot better spiritually. I'm growing into my field of entrepreneurship. I'm happy amongst what my job and what I'm doing. And I now have all of that focus and can be an example for my children. This made me a better father. It is now because I'm decoding the social norm. Because I'm walking yes. in my purpose. And that's what I want my children to do. Right. Because that's the way they're going to win. As long as they have the discipline and be able to do that and break the social constructs that they grow up on, grow yes. up under. So yes. I tell people, especially in our age bracket, because um, I feel like it's so easy with everything going on mm -hmm. and obviously like the stress of like life and bills and rent and mm -hmm. this and that, you know. It, it, it takes a toll on you spiritually, yeah. physically, emotionally, mentally, and we start to feel old. So mm -hmm. I make I make sure I tell people, especially in our age bracket, I go, think about the years. As you said, we have been inside our parents' homes longer than we've been outside them. We mm -hmm. are still very much babies. Yes. And like even me, I, next year I turn 30. Mm -hmm. And... Someone will look at me and I'll go, oh, my God, dude, you're getting old. And there's sometimes I'll go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. and then I stop myself and I go, no, no. Mm -hmm. I'm, in many ways, you know how when, when you're a baby, you mm -hmm. crawl. You learn mm -hmm. how to crawl. Mm -hmm. And then you start taking baby steps. Yeah. And then you're walking. And then mm -hmm. you're learning and learning and learning. Mm -hmm. The learning doesn't stop when oh, you're never. 18. You, in in many never. ways, as I said, it's like... We're babies again. Yeah. We're babies again. And now I understand why, like, when I was, like, 25. We're babies in a grown man world. Right. You know, we're babies entering into a, a grown man society that, that doesn't hire babies. Right. You know what I mean? So now you have to grow up in a way amongst their system because, oh, you're not. Right. And you're given, especially as black people, it's, oh, oh wow. It's yes. like you gave us a chance as if we're not earned to be in this position. Mm. Your resume doesn't speak for itself anymore. You know what I mean? And especially right. especially as black people. And it's like, how do we how do we destroy that and also function amongst it? How can you live in a house and burn it down at the same time and not get charged for arson? It, do, it doesn't happen that way. Ooh, ooh. So could you, could you repeat that one more time? <laughs> like it, it's I'm just saying it's it, I'm saying it's hard to like how do you live amongst that house, be in that house, work in that house, and then get so upset and want to understand, no, this house doesn't need to be here. We need to build new ground. Let's burn this house down. But you still get charged for arson. You know what I mean? So it's like, no, what do you mean? 
This is this is not right. We're trying to destroy social, social constructs and generational wealth, and we have children. Right. And now that we understand the laws, and we have the money behind it, and we have the knowledge behind it, right. we want to make the change. We want to make yes. that change yes. for our children. Yes. But for our, you know, but now it's you're going to you're going to jail for picketing. We don't have that voice. They rob you of your rules. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's it's so difficult. You know, I had to. I told my my you know you know, and of course you know my sister, yes. my family. Like I said, this is this is my brother. This is not just a, an interview. We have these conversations, but more or less, you guys. <laughs> but yeah, he knows my sister and um, the social constructs. You know, like what's the appropriate speed for my black child to walk? That is a realistic question, and especially for what's going on right now, he can't jog, but he can't walk slow. And the conversation I have to have with my child is the appropriate speed for my black child to walk. Because yes. that is, is make or break on their life. And more or less is cut short. And that's what I talk about with these things that we have the power now, our voices, we have the power to actually make these changes. Because if right. we don't tell these stories, if we don't say these, say these things, more people can die from this more or less than can be saved. Right. Yes. And this is not, um, this is perspective, but this is reality. You know, I mean, this is a reality. So, like I said, I don't even like what does getting here. It's just more or less parenting children and parenting black children is such an imperative and immediate conversation. It's life or death. I remember uh, one thing. One thing I learned was I was maybe twenty six at the time, and I had decided to have the conversation with my mom, and I just, you know. I, I want, it was really vulnerable. It was mm -hmm. a really vulnerable conversation. And obviously no one likes to hear that they're doing something wrong oh, or what parents. they did wrong, especially parents. So I made sure to not use the words, I think you did this wrong or what yeah. you did wrong is this and this. Mm -hmm. But so instead I opened that conversation mm -hmm. and I, you know, I just asked her, what what could you have done better? And she was like, well, what do you mean? What mm -hmm. could I have done better? And yeah. this and that. And then I told her, I said, well, I said, I never felt, I never felt that you were there. Mm -hmm. Charles, I never felt that you were there. And I always felt that you were trying to turn me into you. I always felt that you wanted me to not live my dreams, but you wanted me to live out yours. Mm -hmm. And I remember I told her, I said, it's so difficult to live when you don't know what living is for yourself. I was like, mm -hmm. it's so difficult to become me when I don't have the room to become me. Mm -hmm. And it makes me think about something you mentioned earlier about self-soothing mm -hmm. and how when babies cry because they're, they're you know, it's because... It's a reaction to something they don't like. Mm -hmm. And most times when babies cry, you hear, especially like growing up, it's mm -hmm. shut up, stop crying. What are you crying for? Or mm -hmm. this one, mm -hmm. keep crying oh, and I'm going to give you something to cry yeah. about. As right. if what I was crying about wasn't something to cry about. Right, 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 and, right, right. right. Um, I just think, imagine how better adults we will be if we were allowed to cry as babies and as man, how, how us as humans, as a society would man. be so much better if we allowed each other that grace man, to cry to under. Yeah. And understand the power of that, man. 
if you were allowed to do that as a child to allocate what pain was for you identify where it hurts you know under, and begin to understand that man like it just the moment you're able to open that dialogue with yourself mm-hmm. you become your best part of yourself you know what be, you, your feelings are allocated into the right place your mind is allocated to understand what these feelings are and what they are for you you can begin to say hey this is why we're such a suppressed community you know, I mean? we're such a suppressed community of emotion that it's not okay it's for men. You know what I mean? To be able to have this conversation. Right. You know what I mean? Of, right. of your insecurities, of things that happen to you. You can't be vulnerable because they teach you not they to be vulnerable. To. They treat, they teach you what masculinity is supposed to be and not. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in the Bible, man, Job cried for days. God killed his entire fleet. Killed his children, his wife, everything. And that man was on his hands and knees, naked. He took all of his clothes off and he laid and prayed. How did he know that then? But we not know that now. And in the book, and when I rap about young men, like, you know, you wonder why I read Job. It's my job. I have to understand and strip myself and understand where my help comes from. And it's not just into the earthly man of Jesus, but it's to understand, like, because that's a whole nother conversation. We ain't going to go down that road. But (laughs) just understanding where your help comes from. Understanding that it's okay to cry. Understand that when you have nothing, that you actually can bear it all. And you can bear your soul. And that you can understand that there are people around you who are designed to be around you. To not necessarily even just pull you up. They'll lay there with you. They'll move with you. They'll match your spirit and your energy. And then you have to reach out. If I never would have reached out to you and understood how to be vulnerable, I may not have understood the perspective of the situation. If I never took the time to understand that it was okay to cry. And that it's okay to be in that place. I would have never made it to that point. Mm. We would never be sitting here right now. No. You know, no. so no. it's the the power of vulnerability, bro, is is scary. It's, it really it's, is. It's scary. It's, yeah. I like to tell people, um, I view vulnerability as my superpower. Yeah. I view vulnerability as my superpower. Um, with every episode I've done so far... It was extremely vulnerable. And there's episodes where I'm crying during, I'm crying before, I'm crying mm-hmm. after. And for days, for days, I'll be crying. And the power behind that, mm-hmm. the power to feel human, because mm-hmm. for so long I felt dehumanized. Mm-hmm. As people, we're dehumanized. Oh, as yeah. humans, we're dehumanized. Yeah. And. It's so hard to find your humanity in a society that constantly dehumanizes you. And I have a question, um, because obviously you have daughters. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And most fathers I talk to, if they have daughters, they always tell me the same same story. The same, I started doing this better when I realized I had girls. I started doing Uh. this better because I realized I had girls. And I wonder... When it comes to having daughters, how has that played a role in how you view and treat women? Ooh. I'm going to be not even, I don't play the devil's advocate thing. I don't do that. But I'm actually the inverse. Yeah. We want, we want to do this. We can do this. Yes. yes. Okay. I've had nothing but girls, America. <laughs> um, three daughters. Um... The things that I wanted to model came from my father. Did I become a better man? Because I I don't think there was ever a time like this is this is what I want to model in front of them because this is the man that they're going to 
I was that. I was proud to be the father who I was. So it never came across my mind to be more. I was that. Dad went to work. Dad was a professional at his job. Dad worked hard, not just for the family, but that was just what he was coded to do. So when I had daughters, I'm worrying about the example, you know, like the hardship came from the lessons I had to learn out of this. And then the, the man that I was during that time, there was a lot. I wasn't always the best. You know, I wasn't like cheating or doing anything like crazy, but more or less like I was harder on time. You know what I mean? Like I was at work a lot more trying to become something as well. At the same time, taking my daughter with me, my and my oldest will tell you that she's she's seven. Remember, Daddy, she knows every job I've ever worked at. So when you worked at the chicken place with the wing on it, then you worked at the breakfast spot, and then remember we used to have used to be the uh, the big guy with all the cookies and stuff. My daughter was at every place that I went. My daughter was when I was cutting pico in the morning. I had to open because mom went to school during the nighttime, and I had mom. I had the babies at night, and mom went to school at night. Daddy worked during the day, so I used to work seven to threes. So when I'm working seven to threes, I was the manager, and I opened a store. My babies was with me. So for real, like I didn't have no babysitter. I didn't have that. So my kid was sitting in a stool or in a car seat while dad was cutting Pico and running the back and setting up the front. She was running around. My GM would get there. Cheyenne would pick Peyton up at 1030 before we opened at 11. And I had a system. So to answer your question, like how has it changed me as a father? It never made me like go harder because I had daughters. It just that's just who I was. What I had to do when I looked at myself in the mirror as a man after all the hell that happened was like, whoa, what happened to you? I lost purpose. What am I going to teach them? Then I realized what it was I teaching them. To be a systemic slave. Dad didn't have any purpose. Dad was tired. Dad worked all the time. Dad tried to love, you know, they saw a marriage. They watched us get married. We didn't rush to get married. We didn't get married for the children. We went to counseling before that. We got married because we were in love with each other. They saw mom and dad kiss and hug. They saw mom and dad slow dance in the living room or in the kitchen while we cook food. They knew. They woke up every day to that. That's what they saw. You know, and even to this day, Marley, who was the second baby, like, I want to, uh, was it, you're going to come home, you're going to kiss mommy just like you used to. She's four. That's what they know. So, what so I was, you so you know they miss it. Oh man, bro, they don't. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and of course, you know, when it comes to the divorce, especially after like going through one. Yeah. Um. There's days where I wake up and I cry. I don't mm-hmm. miss being married to the person I was married to. I love the person I was married to, and uh, so I don't miss the relationship. Mm-hmm. But there's times where I think back and I think about like my oldest. Mm-hmm. And I think about what he was used to mm-hmm. and what I was used to. Mm-hmm. And when what you're used to no longer is there. I feel mm-hmm. like as society, we like try to like act like, you know, we don't miss it. And we try to act as if like it's not okay to miss it. So yeah. when you hear your daughter say this, Bruh. you know she misses it. There are other days where you wake up. And it just feels like you're just in this really like weird dream where you're just like, what's going on? You think you're going to... What happened? To, like, yeah, yeah, you're going like, to go to bed and you're going to wake up and you're going to wake up with your wife and your kid. So it's like, what do you do when you miss? I, Man, bro, I, I, I become vulnerable. 
uh, that's a place that I'm I'm working through currently. You know what I mean? This stuff is still new. We're coming mm -hmm. off of, you know, we're going at two years now. We were been separated for a year, you know, last March. Like, it, this is still fresh for me. So, right now, rewalking these steps in life, being in Kent right now, it's hard for me. Like, I went and sat down at the wedding venue and cried for like an hour and a half, like, just, just looking like, what the heck, why was this not valuable or important for where, you know, like there's more context to the story of, you know, her and I, but what, what was it? And it, it broke me down and I don't know what to do with that. Sometimes I don't know how to look at my daughter every time my, my oldest, she going to snitch. She going to let me know what's going on. She walk around like you see his shoes, you see what's going on. Like my daughter know, like, like, uh, -uh like his dad, all, all of them, all three of them, his dad to the end. Like we rocking with pop. Like it don't matter what happened. Mm -hmm. And it's and Cheyenne was like, they don't. These kids will never let me forget it. She was like, they'll never let me forget it. I have to deal with this every day. And that's 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 tough. And it's tough for her. And it's that's also part of it. Pains to be shy. Right. Right. It pains to not speak up. Right. Because there was moments that we could have. There was moments where she, you know, gave and she, that's something that she now has to live with forever. Right. You know, due to the detriment of this, it, that's something that she has to deal with. And this is a pain that I have to experience and deal with. Can right. I be mad that this happened? No, because I experienced it. And that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to do that with her. The way that God only honors divorce is through infidelity. So I can't say mm -hmm. that I'm not happy that it happened because it pushed me off a cliff to a place where I end up doing exactly what I was supposed to do. Right. God would only honor this divorce truthfully because of the action it took to get rid of it. Right. And... Also, I had to experience her that way. I had to love that way. I had to have those children that way. It was it was scripted, you know. Right. So I couldn't be mad about it. It happened mm -hmm. the way it was supposed to, and I'm supposed to experience and love that person. That person is going to be a part of your journey forever. Yes, and see, and that's why I always like when people see me and they see my what we call a blended family. I don't like the term mm -hmm. a blended family. It's just. It's just my family. Yeah. You know, so but when they see, they see that me and my fiance and our youngest Shia, we can hang out with my ex, my mm -hmm. ex-wife and her fiance and my oldest son. Mm -hmm. And we're just one family. And people always ask, like, after everything that happened, how are you able, how are you guys able to just do this? Like they they're like, this is a miracle, this and this. Now I tell people, this is not a miracle. Mm -hmm. This is what happens when you allow humans to be humans and you love humans for who they are. Yeah. And you just, you think about happiness. Yeah. You know, I don't want anyone to hurt. Just mm -hmm. I don't want to be hurt. But hurt is inevitable is how mm -hmm. you deal with the hurt that's important. And how you deal with the hurt depends or determines what you become. And I love the term of becoming. Right. So I guess my final question to you is, who is Marlo? Who was Marlo? And when it comes to who was Marlo and everything that happened, how does that affect of who Marlo has become mm -hmm. and who is Marlo becoming? Mm. And he sits back and crosses his legs. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Phil moment. Um, so, as I... Uh, uh, okay, can you want me to take the time and answer this question? I'll take it. That's what you want to do. You can. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so, when I 
who was Marlo? Marlo didn't know who Marlo was or wanted to be. Marlo wanted to be a, you know, he reluctantly came a father. He wanted to be professional in some aspect of realm and do something that let alone was positive, was gonna make a lot of money. And it wasn't in music at the time. It wasn't in my purpose and what I was supposed to be doing. So I had earthly goal sets with no spiritual ambition. I had no spiritual purpose behind anything that I was doing. I was just trying to fit the mold of the earthly. And what I went through and who Marlo was started to become was a man of purpose. And more things got stripped from me. I lost cars. I lost positions. I lost placement at jobs. I lost my family. I lost my wife. I lost everything to strip down to my bare minimum. And then I started to pick my feet up and take steps towards putting my socks on. And when I put my socks on, when I was there naked in my parents' basement, you know, post this, it was, okay, God, I need to figure out what this is and rap started. And then when I didn't have my wallet, and I know you remember this, and I didn't have my wallet for two months that was in my lap, and God gave me $2,000 that was coming two months later. That was the day I put my socks on. I was like, okay, that's, I guess I have to rap. Because now you don't have a wallet. You don't have a social security card. You mm-hmm. can't go try and get no job. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. I heard him clear as day. Now what you're going to do? So I put my socks on and I started rapping with purpose. I stopped talking out of anger towards Cheyenne. I stopped being that way and I started gaining principle for myself. Something I never had the time to do. Something I never took the time to do. I had children at 18. You know, I had Peyton at, you know, 19 years old. I moved out, got into my own place, working as a pizza guy, got into Buffalo Wild Wings. I, I hit the ground running. I never took the time for myself to even know who I was going to be or what I wanted. The facade of the man who I even thought I was at Youngstown was the man that Cheyenne fell in love with. The possibility of that guy. He has all these great ideas and all the things that he wants to do, but I can never fall through because I never was walking in purpose. I was circumstantial. I gave her something to believe in with no backing. It was like a str- it was like a sundress with no back with a backless on it. You know what I mean? Like if you the sundress look nice in the front, but if you turn around, the whole ass is out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what it was. And then I began to, like I said, I put my socks on. I put my socks on when when that happened. I still didn't have no drawers on or nothing else. I was still naked, but I put my socks on and I start walking. And then when I got to start getting into the actual studios and you were there with James Drew and was like, no, this is what you need to be doing. And I had more confirmation and I had no more backing. Then I started getting $50 here when I was writing and my mom was like, no, you need to take care of your phone bill. And my dad wrote, put a notebook on my pillow with a pencil, like you need to continue doing this. And then it kept happening. And then I completed chapter seven myself and I put pants on and I worked and I had my children full time during the summertime and I worked at the gas station on third shift <laughs> and I kept running and I kept walking I put on clothes and then I ended up in California mm-hmm. two months later and so the Marlo that became was the Marlo that knew that he could do because of the purpose and the reason why he did it and no longer had just oh this is a social norm I still get to attack all of these things that I want to do in my life all I have to do is the one thing I'm supposed to do is tell them tell the story tell the message for the people that look like you 
Make sure you're there for them. Love everybody. Make sure that you're supporting them. Give hugs. Give confirmation. Give affirmation. Do that. That's easy for you because I gave that to you from a baby. My grandma told me I was born with my hands open. She was like, that boy going to be nothing but a giver. And the day that God told me that, he said, open your hands to the sky and receive what I have to give you. Clear as day. And that's what I did. So that's the man that I became was someone who cut the H off of faith and understand that I was ordering my steps and that it was made out of faith. And I did that. So that's what I did. And here we are. A lot smarter, a lot brighter, ready, established, firm in my journey and moving forward. And my kids are in a better place. Me and Cheyenne are in a better place. My mother, my family, and my journey has purpose. Drinking coffee, talking to you. (laughs) (laughs) Coffee with no cream, no sugar, y'all, and I'm (laughs) plant-based. So if that answers your question, brother. Perfectly, perfectly. This has been a very much needed and a very great conversation because although I've known you for, I'll say about two years. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've known you for two years and mm. we talk every day. Yeah. But <laughs> this is the first time Marlo is really talking with Dakota and Dakota is really uh, talking to Marlo. We speak mm. every day. Yeah. It's true. And we speak business. Mm-hmm. We speak, how are you doing? We speak, how are the kids? Mm-hmm. But this has been the first time where I'm not looking. You know, I'm interviewing Marlo, the artist, yeah. and Marlo, my friend. Uh-huh. And you're used to seeing Koda shots, the photographer, the writer, this mm-hmm. is this. This is, I told you, Fresh Brew Coffee, this is a space mm-hmm. that is very dear to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a space of vulnerability. And there's no mask here. There's no mask here. Mm-hmm. There's no pose for the camera. This, this, this. This isn't some Instagram aesthetic. Mm-hmm. This is human and human connection, conversation. Yes, sir. And this is the first time I feel that we are meeting and speaking as humans. Man. So it has been a pleasure yes, sir. to meet you. It's been a pleasure to meet you, brother. It was a great unveiling. So I definitely, I definitely appreciate the aesthetic of the ambiance you created. So for sure, brother. And that is the brew of the day. I'll see you guys next time.